0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Canada's biggest for-profit home operator, Chartwell Retirement Residences, wants to stop making new residents quarantine for 14 days. The company says that with the right kinds of protocols such a covid such as a covid-19 test for residents ahead of moving in and social distancing practices there's no need to quarantine them as they move in well some experts disagree and they say this is a recipe for disaster and could lead to more outbreaks uh, what do you think 416-360-0740 toll free one 866 740 Forty, And now I would like to bring in Sharon Renali, who is a spokesperson for Chartwell Retirement Residences, Bill Van Gorder, who is the Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Dr. Tamara Daly, a York University professor and director of the University's Center for Aging Research and Education. Welcome to you all. Thank you for being with us. Hi. Thank you Thank for you. inviting us. Okay, well, let us start with Sharon Ronali of Chartwell. Sharon, why do you want this restriction eased? Libby, I think the most important thing to say, first and foremost, is we have not called on any
2: body of government to do this. We've actually said in an investor call that the 14-day isolation period can be a deterrent to seniors who have already been isolated through the pandemic to move in, and that there are examples across Canada of enhanced precautions that have replaced the full isolation in suite. So uh, I I have to say I think the government's done an excellent job in every province we operate on, working with um, retirement home operators and long-term care operators as well, because we're on both sides, to keep people safe, and we, we, we respect that.
1: Um but it
2: is a difficult thing to be placed in your room for 14 days straight.
1: Oh oh of course it is any uh isolating anywhere is is a difficult thing but uh, how do you think that that the, do you think that this is the thing that is stopping people from moving into a retirement residence? So more than 25% of seniors live alone. I would say that experience during COVID was exceptionally
2: isolating already. If you did not have family nearby, if you did not know how to order your groceries, if you had care needs, even if you gave up your daily, uh, you know, drop by Tim Hortons or mall walk, et cetera, all the things that normalize getting your hair done, regular activities, people who had stayed in their home for that time, whose needs may have um, accelerated during that time. And are now exploring retirement living at times are finding it a deterrent and becoming what we call hesitant. They're unsure. The, the representation of retirement homes versus long-term care also makes them hesitant. Many people don't understand the distinction. And I know the other panelists will, will um, most certainly jump in as they, they have on what the distinction is. And we can talk about that, but retirement homes are different and so were their outcomes during the pandemic. And we're trying to help families understand that we've remained a safe place, that we're a supportive place, and how we can help them should they require our services uh, on that transition.
1: Uh, Bill, is it a good idea to ease those restrictions? Well,
3: CARP wants to do everything uh, that, uh, wants everything done that can be to protect seniors uh, uh, wherever they are. But uh, as Sharon said, uh, each retirement home is different. Uh, retirement homes are not long-term care homes. Uh, the regulations are and and should be different. So what we're concerned about is the regulations, cookie-cutter approach that seems to treat all facilities in the same way. And it's time that we started looking at uh, what facilities need what kind of different uh, uh, controls and Uh, the seniors, the residents have to be brought into this discussion. These decisions being made for them, but not with them, aren't, just aren't acceptable anymore.
1: Okay, um, I get that. Dr. Daly, uh, w- one of the things I'd like to explore. So we know that retirement residences and long-term care homes are different and the populations are different, but that, um, that gap has closed because there are long waiting lists for long-term care. And, and as it turns out, there are now people in retirement residences who need more care than that and who are older and sicker. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely correct. And that is one of the challenges with thinking about
4: retirement residences and long-term care as completely different. We are talking about communal living arrangements and communal activities. And we do know that in communal settings, the risk of exposure and spread is far greater. And we're also talking about a population Um, that moves into retirement residences that have uh, different degrees of vulnerability. Uh, So I think we need to consider those things when we think about what sort of policies we want to put in place.
1: Uh, Isn't it the case, uh, and I'm just throwing this out there, that given the pandemic, I mean, I would imagine that people, particularly older people, are hesitant about Any kind of communal setting. Uh, Am I wrong about that, Bill?
3: there are certainly people are thinking very carefully about it now They're, the covid disaster has has brought the uh, that all home to people so uh, seniors and their families are thinking carefully uh, about it but in thinking carefully about it uh they have a right to make the decisions that they want to uh make for their own uh, safety and and weighing the, their risks and that's what we're concerned about that there yes there is uh uh, increased pressure on uh, long-term care facilities. So, so uh, people who are in them are are in are in residential care uh, are often looking maybe to move up to that uh, level. Uh, but we're talking about an individual uh, basis here, not an over overall rules that uh, put everybody to the same pot.
1: Mm-hmm. Sharon Rinelli, uh, I have just a, a, a question: In retirement homes, are there uh, rooms or facilities that people who are not of the same family share, or is it all uh, private rooms and, and units? I
2: can't say it's all because there's 771 licensed retirement homes in Ontario, but I would say there's very few um, shared space in retirement homes. It's one of the things that distinguishes retirement from long-term care. And it's one of the things that distinguished how retirement homes responded to COVID. It was easier during um you know, an isolation period to have people maintained in their rooms, although that took a toll. It took a toll that people were separated from their family members, from their friends, and from each other because they were kept in that room. That's that's an isolating experience. And I I do want to speak to the public perception that they are the same model and the outcomes are the same. They're not, actually. Confirmed cases in retirement communities in Ontario were 3.87% of all cases in the province. And the incident rate was about 1%, 1.27% um, of residents were affected. So I, I just think the story is very different. And when we continue to say retirement and long-term care in the same breath on how uh, they responded to COVID or what the outcomes were, they're not the same. And I think Bill said a really important thing. We also have to listen to what the experience was of people and what their families felt like. And I'm and on, on one company chartwell, we have uh, just over 90 homes in Ontario, but we asked all of, we put a survey out. We asked people to go online. This, this was completely independent. Over 13,000, uh, family members and residents participated and 96% of residents and 95% of their families said we felt they felt that we took measures to keep them safe. So I think the retirement experience is different. And the physical layout of the buildings, the separation of rooms, the ability to have um, a different resident population that can socially space from each other has led to those outcomes.
1: Um, however, uh, the population has changed given the uh, the long waiting list for long-term care, right?
2: Well, it hasn't. Like, retirement homes are regulated to provide a certain amount of services and care, so Individuals who require additional care could be receiving home care to, to support those services, which is overseen by Ontario Health. Um, they could be on wait lists, but the, the change is likely to come in the future. And it's why retirement homes will play and will increasingly play an important part of the continuum of care. I, de- I definitely agree with you in that regard, especially going from four to two bedrooms in those older C beds.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharon, what do you say to critics who say uh, th- this is just about the the bottom line for Chartwell or other retirement residences? Well, Chartwell,
2: as one operator, but all retirement home communities move to comply with long-term care directives during COVID. So those costs in a private sector uh, environment are assumed by operators to keep people safe. So we, we moved willingly to that. We've been a great partner with government. We've been at the table with healthcare partners. I, I do not no, why we would be accused of putting um, occupancy ahead. We, we are a needs-driven business. People do need our services. People do reach out to retirement homes for support. And many of those people can be taken care of. Those individuals can be taken care of outside of long-term care, most especially while the demand increases or capacity decreases as they're they're waiting to expand in that area. So it is, it is our business model uh, to do sales and marketing to help people Secure support outside of
1: long term care. Tamara Daly, what's your response to that? Do you think this is just about profit? Well, it seems to me that if uh,
4: so many of the residents responded positively to the measures that Chartwell undertook and they were complying with the regulations and the directives that were sent to long-term care facilities, it seems to me that Chartwell was doing things in a way that were more protective and that um, followed um, uh, more like serious kind of um, measures. And uh, if what they're proposing now is to lessen those, it it makes me question whether or not people that are currently living in retirement residences will continue to feel as safe as they uh, indicated that they were. Um, it seems to me that if you're talking about social isolation, you have to consider the needs of people who may be moving into retirement residences as well as the ones that are already living there. And if there is an outbreak situation, you're putting everyone who works in that long-term, in that retirement home, as well as the people that already live there at risk. So it seems to me that the precautionary principle needs to apply here. I mean, I've listened on the radio uh, and in newspapers for the past few days about how our numbers are going up in a number of provinces. We're talking about a second wave. I'm surprised that an organization would be willing to um, to shift direction, knowing what
1: worked previously and what we might need to do in future in order to protect people. We are talking to Dr. Tamara Daly from York University, Bill Van Gorder, the Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Sharon Rinali from Chartwell. And uh, Sharon, Dr. Daly was saying, uh, you know, given that we are in the midst of a spike, we don't know if this is a second wave. Uh, this is not the time to, uh, you know, take uh, our feet off the gas pedal. What What do you say to that?
2: I would agree with you entirely. And I would say once again, we haven't called on the government to relax these um, conditions at all. We've said that they they will have an effect and they could be delaying people making the decision. So I just really need to be clear that answering one reporter's question a couple of days ago about us referencing that on a investor call was not a call on government to relax any of today's rules and we know that there are hot spots across the country where we are seeing or even across Ontario where we're seeing these increases what I have referenced is that other provinces some have not had any worse outcomes and they don't have no um uh no transition guidelines nor would we ever recommend it we have we have most precaution for safety of our residents our staff and and families considering this but they're There is a way to to say to someone coming in, you don't have to stay in your room for 14 days straight, take every single meal. There could be, like BC does, that you can mask and go for a walk if you are socially spaced from others so that you can access a a walking space outside. Um, What I answered a reporter's question was, is this a deterrent and why would it be a deterrent? But please let me be clear, we have not called on anybody of government to relax. Any of today's um, conditions, and I actually think the government has been a very cautious and collaborative partner in helping us keep residents safe.
1: Do you have anything that you are starting to do right now, given the increase of cases in the community?
2: Well, we're maintaining like our heightened precautions, and we have um, learned through phase one or wave one what those pieces are, and and I want to also remind people that. When someone's moving into a retirement home in Ontario, they are asked to have a negative test as well. So they are coming in with a negative test before you can even move in. So that's an important precaution the government has put in place. But maintaining um, higher staffing levels, additional um, supply of PPE, which is, was a challenge in the first wave, stabilizing that throughout the sector is really important. We maintain the the IPAC controls. We're continuing to work with healthcare partners. I think all of these things, no one can take their foot off the pedal in that regard. And I don't think anybody would, would suggest anyone
1: should do so. And I can guarantee you we're not suggesting that in any way.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, we remain v- vigilant, absolutely.
1: Uh, s- switching the question a little bit for tomorrow daily. So this round of this spike, right? It seems to be concentrated among young people. Uh, are you, uh, do you feel confident that it might stay that way? Is, is the danger somewhat past? I don't, I think it's too
4: early to tell that, but um, it does make me think about something that was said earlier in regards to communal living. I would be the first person to say that we need communal living settings. People move into uh, nursing homes and they move into retirement homes because they need um, usually an an elevated level of care. Um, And we do have in the province of Ontario, we have 38,000 people that are waiting to get a nursing home bed. And so those people um, are often looking to retirement homes to to fill that need where they need a little bit more support than they are getting at home. And it's true, yes, they are getting home care supports as well. But I think it would be wrong to suggest that people are not looking to communal living situations because, in truth, people move into these settings because they need that level of care. And so I'm the first to say what we need is excellent um, care for uh, older adults in this province and across Canada, and we need to think about the ways uh, to make sure that that happens, that these are safe conditions for residents that live there, and they're also safe conditions for the people that work there and that visit. So uh, as long as we're maintaining that and we're keeping our focus in that direction, I think that we will do a good job. Whether or not uh, it's mostly affecting young people or older people, I think we, we start to get into problems when we focus too much on who's being affected, because the truth is we all have uh, people that are members of our family in all age groups. And so at the end of the day, we are all affected by this pandemic and we need to remain vigilant.
1: Bill, uh, do you have any kind of uh, confidence that the next wave will stay out of uh, the older population or any thoughts on that?
3: Well, we're certainly hoping at CARP that we've, we're learning as we go along and that uh, improvements in uh, infection management, the, the screening uh, procedures, all those things that are in place now are improving in a way that means that we don't have be quite as extreme as we have been in, in the past and that's that's what the residents and their families are looking for yes they want the protection uh that they need to have for their their health but let's continue to examine uh exactly what's necessary at this point and can we be uh, a little more lenient can we learn from other provinces can, can can we learn from the research how we can do things that protect but also loosen up so that our seniors and their families aren't feeling so constricted.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Bill, of course, you're in the Maritimes where, uh, you know, uh, everything seems to be really under control. But here our cases are spiking and it's very, very worrisome. And uh, it was interesting that what was found was uh, that it was gatherings like family gatherings, weddings, things like that, not, you know, not... Necessarily going to restaurants and going out.
3: So: Well, we're, yes, CARP we're, is keeping an eye on the entire country, and there is a, uh, there are different levels of uh, confidence at the moment right across the, the country, but uh, but the policies for the regulations we're looking for are the ones that will reasonably look after everybody in the uh, community, no matter what their age.
1: Okay, uh, Dr. Tamara Daly, what would you like to leave us with on this? I think it's, it's really important
4: for us to listen to what it is that public health officials are saying. And it's also really important for the policymakers to pay attention to uh, what the implications of all of their decisions are um, for all of our lives. One of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about a lot lately is also our schools opening up. And what that means and how important it is that we um, make sure that children who have a right to education um, can exercise that right. And so how do we do that at the same time as keeping people who are vulnerable, who um, uh, are older uh, and have been shown to be quite vulnerable to this disease, how do we protect them as well? So I think we need to think about all of the ways in which our society works together together. Uh, in order to make sure that our p- policy approaches um, protect all of us.
1: Okay, and Sharon Rinaldi.
2: Well, I couldn't agree more with Dr. Daly's statement that um, we have to be vigilant. We have to protect our, our seniors. We have to uh, maintain these protocols in place. We have to listen to public health officials. But I also think, to a point that um, Dr. Daly just said a minute ago, retirement homes are, you know, have been. Um, integrated even more into the continuum of care in the last few years and that's an important setting to help uh, the community and we have to continue to be part of the continuum of care and that's why we're we're highly compliant. We're a regulated sector and highly compliant. I would leave your listeners with that information.
1: Okay thank you so much Sharon Rinali from Chartwell. Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Dr. Tamara Daly, Director of York University's Center for Aging Research and Education. That's all the time we have. Thank you.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.